This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. It's a dream vacation for the kids and the fulfillment of a long-time wish for adults. They're filled with marvels of entertainment and engineering, taking movie magic into reality and making fantasy in the here and now. Theme parks, amusement parks, whatever you call them, they're objectively fun and totally awesome. About 99% of the time, that is. Hi, I'm Andrew Tate. This is Welcome to Paradise, It Sucks. It's a podcast about bad vacations. It's such a good podcast about bad vacations that many have called it the Six Flags Magic Mountain of audio shows about terrible trips. Maybe it's because Americans take vacations built around theme parks so often, but the majority of our reader correspondence, tales of terrible trips sent by listeners like you, are about amusement parks. Everybody seems to have had at least one bad day at a major theme park. Sure, they've also had a lot of great times and made some great memories with their spouses and families, all in those homemade matching t-shirts, I'm sure. But these carefully crafted entertainment wonderlands seem almost genetically modified to preclude disaster. And yet, it happens. At least, according to our listeners. Today we've got three stories about bad times at good places. This is Welcome to Paradise, It Sucks, Episode 10, Variations on a Theme Park, or Anthology of the Tragically Unamused. Our first story comes to us from listener Jason. He went to a certain Southern California-based theme park, celebrating the intellectual property of a large multimedia company with a cryogenically frozen founder and a mouse president. I don't want to say the name, and neither does our attorney. Yeah, I went there with my family when I was five, and since they were, they were doing their 30th year uh, anniversary celebration that year, that puts it in 1985. To a young and impressionable boy of five, everything about that trip was dazzling and chaotic. Definitely more of the latter, as far as this story goes. It was my first time flying on a plane, my first time staying in a hotel. I mean, you know, it's all bewildering to a five-year-old, but in a happy and a good way, so. One very long and mostly sleepless night and shuttle bus ride from a sensible Anaheim hotel later, it was finally time for Jason and his family to embrace the reason for the trip. Well, we finally get to the, the park, and I remember my teenage brother and sister are just pushing past me with both of my parents so they can get through the gates first. Jason's mother? Offended and put out. Jason's father? Annoyed. Like how dads are. He was irritated uh, pretty much the whole time. Definitely that whole dad cliche of, like, lamenting about how much everything was costing him, etc., he just didn't want to be there. I mean, my dad was 45 years old at that time. He wanted to be, like, drinking a beer or mowing the lawn or working in the yard or whatever it is dads did back then. While his siblings shoved their way to the front of the crowd, Jason held back. 
I'm super tiny, right? So I'm just staying really close to my parents, you know, stranger danger, that whole thing. It was the 80s. And so I go through the turnstile and then my dad comes through and then my mom. And when my mom goes through, it was insane. Like we just walked through normally, but my mom comes through and it's just sheer chaos the minute she enters the park. This marching band music starts coming out of a speaker. They're shooting confetti cannons at us. We, we have no idea what's happening. And then suddenly like these park employees come over and they give my mom these giant stuffed animals, like the main two mouses. And they're like in formal wear. I mean, she still has them on her bed. Right. I mean, this. so basically this was like a part of the anniversary celebration. My mom was the 300th person through that day or something like that. Uh, so she won this prize. Hey, it's the most joyful place on earth for a reason, dude. Yeah, except for my dad's just irritated and he just moves things along. And my mom's like absolutely baffled because she won something. But then she's kind of annoyed. I mean, these are life-size stuffed animals. They're bigger than I was. And she's got to carry these things around in the hot sun all day. All the while, Jason's siblings were long gone, which is probably when the real trouble began. I mean, I think my already distracted parents were looking for them when these costumed characters came around. And I've never really been like a claustrophobic person, but this was most likely the most claustrophobic moment of my life. And it was pretty frightening. <laughs> so all of a sudden, me, right? I'm just like this adorable little chubby blonde kid who's five years old and I look like I was three. I just like, I don't know, I summoned over all the, the characters, the little stuffed characters in their costumes, I guess on my cuteness alone, uh, because suddenly I was just surrounded in like this stand-up dog pile of costume characters. Who's there? The whole gang, with one lamentable exception. Well, the big mouse, obviously, hugging me like crazy. The big lady mouse is hugging me. There's the dog, the other dog. There's the duck, the girl duck. There's a bunch of animals I don't recognize from, like, some other lesser animated movies of the 80s. Jason frantically scanned for his parents, swimming in fabric and not necessarily wanted hugs, looking around for his safety net and the individual he really wanted to see. So the male duck, the boy duck, was my favorite one and the only one I really wanted to see. Uh, but he wasn't there. And I was like suffocating and lost. And I just I pushed my way through. I broke free and I ran away from this big group hug. I don't see this duck anywhere. So that was kind of lame. And then what's crazier and even worse is that I don't see my parents anywhere. For a long 10 minutes or so, Jason wandered in circles, tearfully calling out for his mother. So I never got to see the boy duck, by the way. But I did find my mom on Main Street. Uh, she was just sort of walking around looking at things with like a dazed smile on her face. She didn't even know I'd gone and didn't understand why I was crying. And, you know, here of all places, right? So she was kind of annoyed. I, I think I was just kind of killing her whole stuffed animal buzz. Speaking of lost kids, did you ever find your brother? Yeah, I mean, he would come back, but then he would just like disappear again. You know, he'd show up for like 10 minutes, get money <laughs> and leave. It was like over and over. But my parents barely noticed. I mean, he'd just be with us, go on a ride, disappear, return with a chocolate-covered banana or whatever. Even though we never even, like, saw stands that were selling chocolate-covered bananas, so that was just strange. I actually wanted one of those. Couldn't find it. Never got one. It's almost as if he had a desperate need for those treats. Years later, I brought this up, and he told me that all these cute, young, like, female park employees just kept spotting him and offering to, like, share a joint. So that's where he kept going. The rest of the trip, thankfully, mercifully, and expectedly, it was terrific. But we don't talk about that on this podcast. 
A couple of days after doing the park, for all it was worth, Jason and family hit Universal Studios across town. Now, look, it wasn't anything like it is now with the whole Harry Potter land and all that stuff. I mean, back then, they just started to open it up to tourists, but they didn't really have much to offer yet, I guess. We got to see from a distance, like, the unused set of the Jeffersons and All in the Family and... You know, all that stuff was empty, not in use, because the shows were, like, long over. It was like the museum of sitcoms to which a five-year-old is ambivalent. We did get to go on what was probably the only actual attraction, which was the Jaws ride, but it kept breaking down, like, over and over. Look, I'm five. I'm skittish. I find it terrifying. The fake shark still scares me to this day. And even, like, when it would stop working, you know, made me cry. I was so scared. (laughs) And then I kind of thought my brother and sister were laughing at me, not the shark, so that made me cry even more, which matched me, you know, peeing in my pants. Thanks, Jason. And now let's move on to another story of unamusement, California corporate theme park style. Let's hear from Melanie about her tedious and irritating excursion to the same place where the last story took place. About 10 years ago, my boyfriend, now my husband, and I went there. Oh, so it wasn't all bad. It wasn't, like, ruin a marriage bad. We'd gone in the summer and it was great, but kind of crowded, and we didn't get to see everything we wanted to do, so we went back a few years later, but went in January because we heard that was the best time to go because it's the least busy then. Of course, that might not have been true, or at least not anymore. The park apparently didn't anticipate very many people because they only brought in, like, half the staff that they normally would. We asked around, and that's what somebody told us, because the place was absolutely packed. More than it had been in the summer, apparently it was common knowledge that everyone thought January was the least crowded time to go because that's when they all decided to go. Ah, in other words, it totally backfired. And crowds at an amusement park directly and immediately translate into the single most annoying thing about amusement parks. Every ride had a two-hour wait. No fast pass? Sure, we got the fast pass, but it's useless when everyone else has the fast pass, too. Yeah, I've always wondered about that. So how did you cope? We kind of did ride triage, deciding which ones had the shortest-looking lines and weighing that against the ones that felt like the most reasonably interesting. We decided on that submarine one, when you're in a submarine in a swimming pool, but it really feels like you're submerged thousands of feet under the sea. And it really does so the longer you're in there. About 30 seconds in, it broke down, then came to a complete stop. So we were stuck in there in the darkness, cramped in there with a bunch of angry strangers for another hour and a half. After waiting an hour and a half, three hours spent on the ride, we really didn't want to go on much after that. That's a miserable experience and singular. Tell me it's singular. We got on the spinning cups ride, just a simple little fun one that had always been one of my favorites. So another 90 minute line for that. Lots of kids whining in line on that one. So they board and the ride starts and they have a great time. The end? No, of course not. Halfway through the rider, so one of the other little cars or cups breaks down. They shut the whole thing down, and we all could have just easily gotten up and walked off, but they kept coming around and telling us to absolutely not do that and that it's company policy to wait for help to arrive. That help came in the form of a high-ranking manager who surveyed the ride, looked around, and said that everybody could leave. So to count that up, 
That's a good six hours spent in the park and we got to go on one botched ride and then part of another. Honestly, and I'm sorry to say, the story gets a little repetitive at this point. One ride they wouldn't let me go on because I was too short after an hour wait. And then another one they wouldn't let my husband go on because he was too tall. At that point, it was nighttime, so the crowds had thinned out, so that one only had like a 45-minute pointless wait. At some point, you've just got to call the time of death. At that point, we decided to call it a day and get something to eat. We hadn't eaten all day because the lines were so long. By now, all that was open was a churro stand that had one cold churro left that we split. Woke up the next morning feeling sick. From the churro? Yeah, probably from the churro. Ugh. Well, thanks, Melanie. And finally, on to story number three. And this one sounds like a riddle. Take it away, Gideon. I've been to that theme park. I paid for a ticket. I spent most of a day inside. But I never got to ride a single ride or do any of the fun stuff. I give up. Explain. Have you heard the urban legend about how that amusement park banned long hair and mustaches on men because they didn't want to attract the hippie element. Well, it's true. They instituted that rule when they opened in the mid-1950s and they just kept it on the books so it could maintain its squeaky clean, you know, upstanding 1950s image. It really didn't become an issue until the late 60s when young guys were growing their hair out and they grew mustaches, specifically to rebel against their crew cut wearing dads, you know, to protest the war the government and everything, uh, that was the point. And so when you had long hair, they'd instantly spot you coming in the gate and not let you in. And spot hippie Gideon and his groovy long-haired friends is exactly what happened. It was 1969. I was a hippie. I was in a band. Okay. We were playing some shows around LA and I decided it would be fun to go ride some rides and whatnot. Did not know about the ban on long hairs until we tried to get in and security brightly and firmly did not let us in. That's right. I was much angrier, scrappier, fearless kid, that kind of guy back then. And I got in his face, yelling, screaming, calling him a narc. He stayed calm and explained to me that the company had a policy about allowing in men and long hair because it detracted from the squeaky clean family friendly image. I got your family friendly, I said, something to that effect. I started screaming profanities and calling out the injustice of it all. This is criminal, you know. This company hates the youth generation. This place is a Nixon puppet, you know. Very, very clever stuff. So Gideon is having a performative meltdown. Where were his friends? Oh, they didn't want to cause any trouble. So they had all quietly backed away before I knew it. They were gone. They'd gone back to their car to wait for me when I calmed down. He didn't make it back to the car. You can shout at an amusement park security officer as much as you want. Right, okay. But once you shove one, or maybe accidentally spit in their face, they tend to get mad and end your outburst. Fun fact. Did you know large amusement parks have jails? They had a little jail, or at least they did back in 1969, a subterranean holding cell off of a little office, like a locked office with a little window, table and a chair was bolted down. They put me in there just to calm me down or or to decide what they were going to do with me, you know, either call the cops or let me go. 
And then, after about eight hours of sitting in that room the whole time, except for when they let him use the bathroom and when they brought a cup of water and a hot dog, they let Gideon go. Just kicked me out the front gates without a word. Park was closed by then, so I had to walk a couple miles, find a bus stop, you know, get back to my hotel. So you've never been back to at least ride the rides? I've never been back. Now, which is kind of weird because I live like two miles away and I've still got long hair. <laughs> I'm not sure if they still got that rule, though. Well, those were some absolutely harrowing stories, each terrifying in its own way. What could each of our subjects have done differently in hindsight? Let's explore their mistakes with Andrew's travel tips. Tip number one, keep an eye on your kids at all times and utilize resources. The first should go without saying. Don't let your kids out of your sight in a very crowded public space like an amusement park. Also, those amusement parks, they have things like calendars and maps now that tell you exactly where the costume characters are going to be and when. No wandering, no wasting time, no curious and lost children. Tip number two, plan or plan better. Don't believe internet rumors about when to go to the place to avoid crowds. Not only might it not be true, but if it is, everyone else who wants to go to that place has seen it too. Tip number three, don't spit on security guards. They may be fake police, but you should always show them real respect. Well, all the fireworks have been shot off, the gates are closing, and all the wannabe actors spending their summers dressed in cartoon character costumes are waving goodbye. That means the park is closed, folks, and our show is over. Until next time, Flex Pass and Fast Pass holders, thanks for listening to Welcome to Paradise, It Sucks. And if you could write a review wherever you get your podcasts, that would be great. It helps us out a lot with data and statistics and demographics and so forth. I don't know. And while you're messing around on the internet, follow the show at Paradise Sucks Pod on Instagram. You'll get lots of news and updates on upcoming episodes. And check out my other shows, Let's Not Meet a True Horror Podcast and Odd Trails, my true paranormal podcast, over at crypticcountypodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. If you've got the worst vacation experience, we want to hear about it. Please email us at welcometoparadiseitsucks at gmail.com. Welcome to Paradise It Sucks is a collaboration between Cloud 10 Media and Cryptic County. The executive producers are Andrew Tate and Sim Sarna. The producers and writers are Brian Boone and Devin Ruskin. The audio engineer is Trevin Barty. He yuck. Bye, kids. <laughs> <laughs>